Welcome to the Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet Peace Podcast. When I first heard Rob Bell's series of Robcast episodes 54 through 59 on guns, recorded in 2015, I was heartsick over the subject matter. These episodes exhibit the excellent synthesis of the humanity, darkness, and light that we come to expect from philosopher, truth seeker, dad next door surfer, Rob Bell. When I got to the last in the series, episode 59, Politics and Guns, part six, I thought to myself, this should be narrated by a group of famous people and put to music. A link to the episode is in the show notes, and if by chance you do not find my narration of Rob Bell's words here, it may be because I was asked at some point in the future to remove my narration. I am hoping, however, that Mr. Bell will allow my voice to narrate his, to pretend he is already in the public domain. After the mass shooting this past week, if I could sing, I would be singing Imagine by John Lennon. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. But I cannot sing, so I will use my voice to narrate Rob Bell's episode 59, Politics and Guns, part six. Before we begin, let us remember this important part of history. In 1996, a man killed 35 people and wounded 28 on the island of Tasmania in Australia. One month after the shooting, Prime Minister John Howard and others immediately took action by drafting the National Firearms Agreement, NFA for short, which banned automatic and semi-automatic rifles and shotguns and established a mandatory gun registration of existing and future legal guns and a buyback of illegal guns. 650,000 guns were peacefully seized then destroyed A 2011 Harvard study of the effects found that in the seven years following the NFA, suicide declined 57% and firearm homicide went down by 42%. Also, in the 18 years prior to the Tasmania shooting, there were 13 mass shootings. In the years since, there has been one mass shooting in Australia, a 2019 shooting that killed four. Let us take a few moments of silence to open our hearts to those who have been killed from gun violence, those families and communities affected, including Uvalde, Texas, the location of the massacre of 19 young children and their two teachers. The husband of one of the teachers died of a heart attack two days later after attending the memorial. He clearly died of a broken heart.
in gratitude and reverence for these words spoken by Rob Bell seven years ago. Here is my reading of episode 59 of the Robcast, Politics and Guns, Part 6. Politics and Guns, Part 6, and I've called this, We Can Do This, Because We Can. We have had so many shootings. We don't have to live like this. Things can change, and at the root of everything that I do, every book, every podcast, every live event, I always ask myself, what is the good news here? What is the good news that I want to share with people? And the good news about guns and politics is we can do this and we can change things. We don't have to have this many shootings. Other countries don't have this many shootings. We can change it. So first, a few numbers to get started. Let me just give you some stats to give you an overall idea of some of the things that we've had and some of the things that we're facing. First, in 2010, about 32% of households in America have guns. So when you think about gun ownership in America, that's about a third of the households. There are five times more licensed gun dealers in America than there are McDonald's restaurants. There are five times more licensed gun dealers in America than there are McDonald's restaurants. That doesn't include unlicensed of which some estimates say that number is through the roof, like crazy. I found this interesting. 10% of women-owned guns, 32% of Americans are white men, and 61% of gun owners are white men. So 32% of Americans are white males. 61% of people who own guns in America are white men. Less people... And this is what's really interesting. If you look at the trends over the past few years, less people in America are actually owning guns. So gun ownership in terms of overall population is going down. But the people who do own guns are owning more guns. So over the past few years, if you look at the trends, less people in America are owning guns with people who are owning guns owning more guns. So roughly 65% of guns in America are owned by 20% of gun owners. So 65% of guns are owned by 20% of the owners. Now to give you an idea of the unlicensed, there's a whole world of unlicensed where you can just get a gun anytime. The New York Times did one investigative report and they found 170,000 guns for sale online where you could just buy a gun and get it. We have about 31,000 gun deaths a year. By the way, those of you listening from around the world are like, man, that's messed up. Yes, it is. Thanks for reaffirming the fact that's messed up. We have 31,000 gun deaths a year. We have about 80,000 gun-related injuries a year, and we have about 500,000 crimes involving guns. So in America, we have a gun crime happening once a minute. And then what's really interesting, I've done all this research on who and how old are the owners of these guns who commit these crimes. The most common age to commit a gun crime is 19. Second most common is 20. 
third most common age is 18 years of age. And what they've also discovered is that most of the guns that these gun crimes are committed by, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, the gun had already changed hands. So whoever bought the gun wasn't committing the crime. The person who committed the crime had gotten the gun from somebody else. The gun had already changed hands. We have about 10 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Now, to give you an idea of the scope, Japan has stricter gun laws. So we have 10 deaths per 100,000 people. Japan has stricter gun laws, and they have 0.07 gun deaths per 100,000. Switzerland has looser gun laws, and they have 3.84 gun deaths per 100,000. So you can see there's sort of a spectrum from the strictest to loosest gun laws from about 0.07 to 3.84, and then you have America, which is 10, and then there's a number of estimates. And if you look widely across everybody who's done the research on this, there is no consensus on how many guns in America. The estimates fall between 270 million guns and 310 million guns, somewhere between 88 guns per 100 people all the way up to 112 guns per 100 people. So roughly the U.S. has half of the guns in the world. This is not normal. This has not happened in other places. And what's really disturbing is when people behave as if this is normal, this is not normal. We do not need to have this many shootings. We do not need to have this many crimes. We do not need to have this many injuries. We do not need to have this many guns. Now, a few things that are true. Vox.com, V-O-X.com, has some excellent data on this. But basically, more guns mean more deaths. This is very straightforward. And when you look across the board at the research and data, the general agreement and you can find lots of very, very comprehensive data on this. More guns means more death. So the sort of counter argument, no, it's not about the gun. It's not about how many. It's how they're used. Obviously, the person holding the gun is, yes, a major player in the whole thing. But if you have more guns, you have more gun deaths. Very straightforward. Now, some stats on legislation, because when we talked about earlier, when I talked about politics in this series and policy, and hopefully by now you're thinking like, okay, let's talk about policy. Let's use the least sexy word ever, because that's oftentimes where you have to go to figure out what's really at stake here. The Pew Research Center and the Pew Research Center is sort of legendary for the research they've done. They've done extensive research on guns and gun legislation and gun control. Here's the thing that's really interesting. 85% of Americans favor expanded background checks. 85%. That includes Democrats and Republicans. That includes gun owners and non-gun owners. Everybody, pretty much. It favors extended background checks, which means it makes it harder to get a gun. I don't know if you're aware of this, 
you can go to a gun show and buy an assault rifle with no background check. Did you know this? In America, there are gun shows where you and I can walk in off the street, put some money down on the table, and walk out with an assault rifle. Now, 98% of people believe that people with mental illness should be prevented from purchasing guns. 79% of Americans believe that people with mental illness should be prevented from purchasing. 70% of Americans, according to the Pew Research data, back the creation of a federal database to track all gun sales. 70. This includes people who own guns and people who don't. Democrats, Republicans, old, young. 70% of people believe there should be a database so that you can track gun sales so you could cut down on the ability just to walk into a gun show and just grab a gun and be out of there. 57% of people support a ban on assault-style weapons, which essentially means you shouldn't be able to buy a gun that's made to kill people. And there's an interesting discussion about bullets. Some bullets are made basically to shred a human being. And part of the support on a ban on assault weapons is saying we shouldn't be able to buy guns that are specifically designed to kill lots of people. And the majority of people favor this sort of thing. So when you look at actual public sentiment, feeling, conviction, belief, people are like, there are a couple of really basic things. Federal database, ban on assault weapons, stricter expanded background checks. Yes, yes, yes. Now, when you dive in a bit further, what you discover is that there are two major strands of thought, two major streams that seem to just keep butting heads. One is we should control gun ownership more. We should regulate the ownership of guns more. We are too lax. It's too easy to get too many guns, guns that are way too high powered. So you have the impulse to control gun ownership or to regulate gun ownership, expanded background checks, etc. And then you have the other impulse, which is, no, it's more important to protect gun rights. It's less important to control gun ownership, but it's more important to protect the rights of people to own guns. And so you can see Democrats veer towards gun control statistically, Republicans veer the other direction broadly, generally, and you can see these two impulses. We talked about what's the truth behind the truth, the issue behind the issue, the policy behind the policy. What happens is these two impulses sort of butt heads. Now here's why I tell you that. And this is a stat that to me is the one that turns the whole thing. What we have discovered in surveying is that 82% of those people who say that protecting gun rights is more important than controlling gun ownership, 82% of those people who, when given which is more important, the right of people to own guns or controlling guns so you have less shooting, 82% of the people say, oh, it's more important to fend than protect the rights of people who can own guns. 82% of those people favor expanded background checks on private gun sales. 82%.
So even our brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors and people who are most like know the most important thing is to protect people's right to own guns are like, yes, we need more expanded background checks on private gun sales. And here's why I say that. We have a common good here and a common agreement on how to move towards a common good. We need new legislation. It's that simple. And we have massive agreement across political parties, across gun owners, non-gun owners, people who lean towards protecting gun rights versus gun control ownership. We all together are like, we need more expanded checks. We need to make it so people who have mental illness can't get guns. We need to have a ban on assault rifles. We need to have a federal database. We're all together on this. So what's the problem? Well, what you see when you dive in another layer deeper is there seems to be three categories. Some people have guns for protection. By the way, one of my closest friends keeps a gun in his glove compartment. I remember the day I reached into his glove compartment. I was like, hey, you have a gun. He's like, yeah, I grew up in Texas. Of course I have a gun. Some people have a gun for protection. What's interesting is many of those people believe that those gun sales should have more extended gun checks. Second are folks who have guns because of hunting, and they have a long tradition with family members, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, that guns are connected with hunting, connected with food, connected with family, connected with holidays, connected with being outside. And what's interesting, if you look at the data, those folks are like, yes, of course we should have more expanded background checks. So there are the folks who have them for protection, the folks that have them for hunting. We can make change while fully respecting those traditions and rights. But what's interesting is there's a third group who have guns because they believe that there is a government tyranny coming in in which the government is going to take all of our guns and take all of our rights and turn us into some sort of fascist state. If you look at the legislation and why there has not been significant gun legislation with mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting, it is because there is a small group of gun owners who see any new legislation or any new rules as a step of the government taking away their guns, and so they block it, and they give a crazy amount of money to block it, and they threaten, and they organize, and they do everything they possibly can to stop any new policies, laws, or legislation, even when it's clearly, undeniably the will of the mass of the people who live in the United States of America. So a couple of things we need to say that are very, very straightforward, but we need to say them. First off, President Obama, insert President Biden, doesn't want your guns. He doesn't want your guns. He's not coming for your guns. The government has enough guns. Please listen to Robcast episode, I believe it was four. The government has enough guns. They don't need more guns. And they also have tanks and fighter planes and aircraft carriers and assault rifles. The president doesn't want your guns. If you've ever seen a presidential motorcade, if you've ever seen snipers on the roof of the White House, if you've ever seen Air Force One surrounded by soldiers, the president doesn't need more guns. 
he doesn't want your guns. Now, the moment you start talking about more expanded background checks, federal database, some people immediately default to the Second Amendment and essentially say, well, we have the right to bear arms. Yes, you do. That's true. Nobody is arguing about that. But a right can also be regulated. So you and I are having a discussion, and every time I talk about our common good, you simply say, yeah, but, and you quote an amendment. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. We need to move past every single time this comes up, somebody says, yeah, but we have the right to bear arms. Yes, of course we do. Nobody is discussing that. What we are discussing is our common shared life together and how this particular right has become a problem and we need to regulate it a bit more and most of the people who own guns totally agree we need to regulate it more. And then, so you can see how the small minority of gun owners are highly organized, they are highly vocal, and they spend lots and lots of money, and they have a number of politicians who do what they want, and they're in the way. So here's an example. Something that is not helpful. It is not helpful when there is a mass shooting, and the next day, a politician goes to a gun range and brings a bunch of press with him, and fires a gun off just to let his followers know that no matter how many innocent civilians die in a mass shooting, he is going to never, ever allow there to be any new legislation. And Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, I'm talking about you. You're not helping. And in the face of another round of innocent humans being killed with guns, it is not helpful to fire a gun to remind your constituency that when ever happens, there will be no change in legislation. Not helpful. You're in the way. We need to change this. This is not normal. If you want to see more of the stats, Pew Research Gun Legislation, just Google that and you'll get to a number of their stuff. That's Pew Research. And then just type in gun legislation. You'll find all sorts of fascinating data and background. TheWire.com has done some great work on this. If you're thinking, well, how do you change this? Or how do you speak up? There are some amazing organizations, SmartGunLaws.org. How great is that name? SmartGunLaws.org. There's a group called Sandy Hook Promise started by parents of kids who were at the Sandy Hook school when there was the horrible, horrible killing. And then there's a group called Third Way that has done some great work on this. And there's a man named Matt Bennett who wrote an essay called The Promise. If you Google the Brookings essay, Matt Bennett, he wrote an absolutely stunning piece on the Sandy Hook deaths and what came out of that. Amazing. There's a group called Americans for Responsible Solutions. Very straightforward. Love that name. And there's the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, csgv.org. These are all fantastic organizations doing work in this very area. Now I'm going to finish this series by talking about the spirituality of politics and guns. And here's what I mean by spiritual. There was a group of Sandy Hook families whose children and the friends of their children were killed in the Sandy Hook shootings. They went to Hartford, to Capital, Connecticut, to get to do some speaking and activism in order to work 
for some stricter gun laws. They were there to give a speech about the need for this legislation that all of us agree needs to happen. They were heckled by people. These are the parents who have just lost elementary students to a gunman, and they were there to help raise awareness and pass legislation so that wouldn't happen again. There were people who came to hear them speak and heckled them yelling, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. That is so, if you're like me, you just think that is so disturbing at such a soul level. A number of people started a conspiracy theory against these Sandy Hook families, saying that they faked their children's death as part of a larger hoax to help Obama get people's guns, started YouTube channels, started spreading on social media all sorts of misinformation, obviously saying these families have faked their children's death because it's all part of a hoax and conspiracy by President Obama to help take people's guns away from them. Now, I assume right now you're about ready to throw up. Here's why I pointed this out. There is a spirit at work here. It is a spirit of fear and paranoia. It is a spiritual matter. This is not rational. This is not logical. This is not human. This is not kind, compassionate. This is not grounded in reality. This is an irrational spirit of fear and paranoia at work when you go to a rally and yell Second Amendment at the people whose kids were just killed by a gunman who are saying there's some very basic legislation that might help cut down on this sort of thing. This is a spiritual matter, and we have to talk about it. We have a problem. We have a crisis. We are hurting as a people because our foundations are in violence. We have stockpiled weapons. We have allowed a small group to dictate legislation and to block the will of our common life together. And because of that, we are in pain. And if you're like me, you're just waiting for whatever it'll be, five days, 10 days, when there's another shooting and the president has to say another speech where he says, did this happen again? Here we are in pain. And we are in pain because of a spirit of fear and paranoia that has run unchecked and the way that you change that is you speak up and we raise awareness and we talk about what everybody is already talking about and we bring hope. Now, obviously, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor from way back. So the good news is the business I'm in. And you look for what is the good news. And the good news is we can change this. Now, one way to think about policy anytime you're looking at an issue that can be fairly sticky is just to ask if everybody voted on this particular issue, would it change? And what's really interesting, based on the data and legislation, what we know about the statistics is that if all Americans voted on federal database, more expanded gun checks, ban on assault rifles, prevention of people with mental illness from obtaining firearms. If all of us voted, then the law would change. So whenever more people voting will change how it currently is, then the question you have to ask is, who wants it to remain the way it is? Someone somewhere doesn't want everyone to get involved, 
It benefits them and their position and their cause if less people are involved because then it can stay the way it is. So the issue was, first off, and obviously my job and many others is to raise consciousness and awareness, is to speak up, is to say, oh, by the way, everybody, we're all together on this. There are a few who are in the way, but it's okay because we can change it. We can let everybody know the will of the people is clear. We don't want to organize ourselves like this anymore. By the way, if you're in a spiritual community, your pastor should talk about this. Your pastor should talk about killing. Your pastor should talk about death. Your pastor should talk about weapons. This is all throughout the scriptures. As you saw in Robcast episode 5, like the scriptures again and again talk about the stockpiling of weapons, again and again talk about the use of power in military for good and for tremendous evil, and the calling into account how we use power, wealth, and influence. So first off, if you're part of a spiritual community, ask your pastor. I assume your pastor does talk about this. If they don't, ask them why they don't. If your pastor says, well, I can talk about that. Why? Why? People being killed? You can't talk about a way to change things so less people get killed? What? Or if a pastor says it's not their job, but we affirm life, right? And Jesus did say he came to bring us life. So if people are dying, we should be able to talk about that, right? If they tell you this issue is not a heart issue, really? Because I think fear and paranoia are heart issues or spiritual matters. Something's wrong. Something's blocking the thriving of our communal life together. Or if somebody simply tells you, well, this is just how things are. If somebody tells you there's nothing we can do, this is just how things are. They, in that moment, are speaking despair. And we don't do despair. We are not in that business. We are in the good news business. Somebody says to you, come on, it's not like anything can change. They, in that moment, are speaking despair, and we don't do despair. We do hope. We do change. We do transformation. We do life. We do a better future together. We do policies that help people thrive. We do our communal life together. And the truth is, and the reason why I'm in the work I'm doing and not in politics as you think of politics is simply because it starts with the raising of awareness. It starts with the heightening of consciousness. It starts with all of us waking up and going, wait, wait. And eventually, once you've woken up, eventually voting and activism, all that flows out of that initial thing that happens in your heart when you realize this is not right. And we can do something about this. It's that good news impulse when things change. You could email your state representative. You can call your congressman. You can send emails. You can go to the sites that I mentioned, and they have all sorts of interesting ways to get involved. You can make a lot, a lot of noise. But it all begins when we wake up together and say, this is not normal. We don't do despair, my brothers and sisters and my friends. We do hope and change and transformation and life together and a better future.
one more story to sort of kind of end the series, but you know we'll pick it up back later, I'm assuming. In 1996, in a town called Port Arthur in the southern part of Australia, there was a mass shooting and lots of people died. And you can read all about the Port Arthur shooting. It's it's chilling to read about. But what happened in Australia is they had this mass shooting in 1996 and people were so devastated and so shocked and so bereft that kind of thing could happen, that they changed their gun laws and they haven't had a mass shooting since. Literally, they were just like, no way, this is not normal, this can't happen. So they changed the laws and they haven't had something like that happen since. So things can change. You can confront a spirit of paranoia and fear with truth and love and grace and power. Obviously, there will always be people who are mean and nasty and deranged and delusional and mentally ill in really, really bad, evil, violent places. But we can take the obvious steps together. There are times when you can just say, enough, this is not normal, let's change it. It's time to confront the spirit of paranoia and fear and to confront it with truth, love, and grace and power and resolve and courage and spinal fortitude and prayer and policy. New policies, better policies, because we are all in this together. We have a shared common life together and when spirits wake up, when our hearts are open, when we see what we didn't see before, when consciousness is raised, that's how it begins and it moves itself into actual flesh and blood policies that make the world a better place. We want to do this. We must do this. We have to do this. We can do this. And that, my brothers and sisters, is good news. Grace and peace, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet Peace podcast. I was just reading Rob Bell's episode 59, Politics and Guns, part six. Until next time, sit with yourself in silence every day. That self with a capital S. We are all scholars of peace. Peace and love to you all. You can listen to Rob Bell's entire Politics and Gun series, episodes 54 through 59, on the Robcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. A link to Robcast episode 59 is in the show notes. Podcast music is The Red Kite and Dalai Lama Riding a Bike by Javier Peking Rodriguez. Links to his music on Spotify and Bandcamp are in the show notes. Support messages of peace in the planet by joining my Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee per month at patreon.com. 
Just search Avis Kalbspeck or Pedro the Water Dog to find me. Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet books one through five are available at all your favorite online bookstores or at avaskalfspec.com. Book One, One More Year is available as an audiobook on all the audiobook sites with the other books coming soon to audio. Thank you again. Listen for the peace. Thank you.